I appreciate the prayers and we'll share with you that I'm really tired. <laughs> it's been a long week. Um, this is probably the busiest week of the year for me is getting school started and working with my faculty and then uh, at our school at the end of the week we go on a retreat with all of our high school kids spend the night up in memphis with them but it's also you know, it's one of these times where i'm really tired but it's kind of like at the end of camp you're really tired but you're spiritually full and so um it, it's a good tired uh, but just really blessed um by several things this week um but and, and i feel bad for brother robert and and Rebecca this morning because they're going to hear the longer version of something they've already heard <laughs> but I knew we had a baptism this morning and uh, rather than diving back into Romans chapter 2 uh, this was already on my heart I'd shared it with our faculty and staff and then also uh, with our our young people at our retreat and it was just so encouraging to be around a bunch of high school students that you know, I really jumped on them the first day of our retreat, just just really hard. And I said, you know, you're either going to be real or you're not going to be real, and you're going to take this seriously or you're not. And we're gonna we're gonna dive into the Word of God. I'm gonna I'm gonna speak to you. We had an invited speaker, Austin Kimbrew, that came and spoke to them. And it's just been a long time since I've seen a group of young people respond the way that they did. Um, jumped in, were real about it, um, honest. Um, I think I put a video on Facebook of them singing this song, Graves into Gardens, and, and part of that song, it says, there's nothing better than you. It just repeats that over and over. There's nothing better than you. And we talked about that, and they said, you know, we spend a lot of, it's interesting that Brother Drew shared what he did. They said, you know, we spend a lot of times doing other stuff, and, and if God's better than all of those things, you know, they're, just the logic started flowing with them, you know. Uh, we're we're really if there's nothing better than God, then we're wasting a lot of time on a bunch of stuff that we shouldn't be wasting time on. And you know, when you see young people begin to um, be more and more discipled and more and more um, in tune with who God is and His Word, it's just a really exciting thing. So I want to turn to Romans 15, Romans chapter 15, and we'll try to be brief. Um, we're just going to look at one verse, but there's there's a lot in this one verse, so I'm going to try to do the short version this morning because we are really excited uh, that we have a baptism today, and, and I do think this ties in in a unique way uh, with what we're doing today in our baptism service. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope so i want to look at really three things in this text instruction that the word of god has a purpose and that it's for our instruction and that's a really important thing it should be the most important thing in our life um, the the instruction of god's word because it is through that word that we know jesus christ you say well how can you put that above isn't jesus the most important thing in our life yes and what i also said Yes, they're both true. Because to know Jesus Christ, the way he's going to be revealed to you, that you're going to see him in his glory and who he is and all of his attributes and, and his character and all of those things is through God's word. It's going to be, and that has to be revealed to you in a supernatural way. So instruction is really important. Then we're going to look at 
two words that in, in our version that we're reading out of today in the, in the KJV, um, it says comfort and patience and comfort. But I really like another translation. I think it, in this particular instance, it gets a little better, better closer to the real meaning of the words is endurance and encouragement. So instruction, but also endurance and encouragement. And then the last thing we'll look at is hope. Because the end of this verse says that all of this is about hope. That we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So it's tying our hope to the instruction of God's word. I think that's a really important connection. So we're going to try to make that connection as we look at this today. Now, to tie it into what we're doing today, I'll I'll start from the beginning. Um, And I don't want to single Brother Matthew out all day and all morning Uh, i know he's he's probably nervous as it is but we've all all of us who have been baptized i'm talking to us too those of you who are thinking about being baptized and you want to follow the lord this is important for you too so it's for all of us this morning but when you begin to follow the lord that's a beginning right it's not an ending so when you're baptized it's not like well i got that done and now i'm a follower of jesus christ it doesn't work that way it's the beginning so in baptism, we are, we are wanting to identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're saying, I believe that. I believe that Jesus Christ died. He, he was in the grave. He came out of the grave. It's also a picture of in our own life that we are dead in trespasses and in sins, but we have been raised to newness of life. And that's what we're doing in baptism. We can try to complicate it and make it about a lot of different things. Baptism is about the gospel. That's what baptism is about. It's us identifying with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so then after that, and so now, Brother Matthew, all all of us who have been baptized, now we're going forward following Jesus Christ. But like I said, it's a beginning, not an ending. So there's discipleship that should take place from that moment in your life forward into your following Jesus Christ. And the, the key... The, the number one thing in discipleship is that you know the Word of God. You need to be in the Word of God. That's the instrument that God's going to use in your life to grow you in faith and in following Jesus Christ. So, so the first thing we want to look at is instruction. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Now there's... There's so much that could be said on this. You, you could do a series of sermons on just that the scriptures are for our instruction and that they were written aforetime and all of the inspiration and the inerrancy and the sufficiency and all of those things. And we're going to mention some of those things, but that's not really our, our task this morning is to go into all of that. But I do think it's important that we the main point of this verse in Romans 15 4 is that these things that were written that have been preserved for us were written for our learning for our instruction we believe that the scriptures of the old and new testaments are divinely inspired I do need to say that I told you we're not going to go through all of this but that's really really important that that's what we believe that they are divinely inspired they are inerrant and they are of supreme and final authority in all matters of faith and life. So our opinions come second. Even, and this one's going to be tough, 
Even our experiences come second. Okay? So just because you had experiences that have led you to believe certain things, the Word of God trumps that. <laughs> just because your experiences lead you in a certain direction, your, ex- your experience of life, the Word of God trumps that as well. And then the other tough one, especially for some people, is the Word of God trumps your tradition. Just because something is tradition, just because it's been passed down from a generation to another generation, if it's, if it's not according to the Word of God, we should throw it out, and we should go with the Word of God. These things were written for our learning, for our instruction, and that's what we believe about the Word of God, that it is supreme and final authority in all matters of faith and of life. So the question this morning then real quickly becomes, and I think you know where I'm going with this, if, if those things that I just said are true, then how often are we in the Word of God? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, or if you are just beginning your walk with Jesus Christ, you need to be in the Word of God on a regular basis. Okay? That means you need to read it. And there's a lot of different ways that we can do that. We can read. We can study. We can learn about it. But I think it's also important that we hear the exposition of God's Word. So personal study is a good thing, and I'm exhorting you to do that, but you also need to hear the Word of God exposited, which is what we're doing here today. And what we do every time that we meet, we open the Word of God. You know, how many, how many services at Providence do you come in and we don't open the Word of God? You, that's by design. Do you know that? <laughs> that's why we're here, is to open the Word of God and hear from, from what He has for us, for our lives, and more about Him. So it is through God's Word, and, and, and our, it's a direct correlation. I, use, I like to use that word a lot. So correlation just means how do two things react with each other? Um, is it a positive or negative correlation? Well, it's a direct correlation between how much time you spend in the Word of God and how much patience, comfort, and hope you're going to experience in your life. That's what this text is really telling us, that the instruction of God's Word is going to give you endurance, It's going to give you encouragement, and it's going to bolster your hope in Jesus Christ because you're going to know more and more about him and his will for your life. So the whole book of Psalms, we could go to a bunch of different places in the book of Psalms that talk about this, um, but there's promises for the person who reads and meditates in the very beginning of the book of Psalms. In Psalms 1-3, his delight is in the law of the Lord. What does it say about that person? You know, you just go on and read the whole rest of that chapter. There's 28 times in Psalms 119 where it says that the reading of God's Word gives delight. You want some delight in your life? You want, you want some joy in your life? Then read the Scriptures. 28 different times in that one chapter. Psalm 19 says it this way. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. If you want that kind of sweetness in your life, then you're going to be a person of the book. And and this is what you're going to spend a lot of your time on. You know, we talk about, uh, Brother Drew was talking about, I'm telling you, that's convicting. I mean, he was when he was talking, I was just trying to get up under my chair and, and hide a little bit. And, and I think if we're all honest about it, we would all say that. How much, if you just were to, you know, for young people now, I tell them this all the time. I say, 
look at your phone, it has this thing that'll keep up with what all you did, how much you were on social media, how much you were on this, how much you were on that. Just glance at it every once in a while and see how you're doing. That's, that's not good, usually. It's not good news. Usually there's a lot of things that are really meaningless and very little time spent in the Bible app, right? And so our being good stewards of our time, I think, is really important. And one of the things that we ought to be reserving time for every day in our life is to read God's Word. Now, when I say that, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to try to move on pretty quickly, reading God's Word is good. And if that's, if that's just where you start, then I think that's fantastic. Just read it. Just read. And, and, you know, you may not understand everything. That's okay. Just read. And God will bless you in that. I believe that. And he'll honor that in your life if you just read it. But if you want to go a step further, do more than just reading. Study God's Word. If you read something and don't understand it, there are all kinds of references. There's things that you can turn to. Um, you need to kind of be careful with that. If you want good um, options for that, you could talk to myself, Brother Nathan, Brother Jeff, several of these people in here, Brother, Brother Kevin, Brother Paul, my dad, others that have been down the road. They can point you to good resources and ways to study the Bible. But you need to not just read it, but study it. And then something I think not very many of us do really well on, and, and I mean, I think this is just almost a lost art, is meditating on the Word of God. Don't just read it and move on. Read it and move on. Get a passage of Scripture and just go back to it over and over again and just let it roll over and over and over in your mind. And God, I, I believe, uses that to reveal things to us from His Word. One of the standard passages about the Word of God that we go to often is 2 Timothy 3.16. Um, you all know that text. It's really important because it's one of the texts that we get where we understand that all Scripture is God-breathed or inspired. Um, it's, it's, um, it's not inspired in the sense of, you might say, if you heard a, a really good speech from somebody, you might say, that was really inspiring. That's not what it means. Inspired means it is God's words. God said these things through men. Really interesting contrast about that. Um, when Peter is writing about this in 2 Peter 1, 21, no prophecy is given by the will of man, but men of God, holy men of God spoke as they were, and then it's basically carried along is the word there by the Holy Spirit. So men spoke from God as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, and that's true. It's true. So the writers of Scripture were inspired. But then Paul, when Paul talks about it, he kind of comes at it from a different angle. Instead of saying the writers were inspired, he says the very text itself. So if you look at the, the Scripture I just mentioned, 2 Timothy 3.16, when he says all Scripture, that word there, it means the actual writing itself is God's words. When, when, it means, when it says God breathed, it's not that God gave a general idea to some men and then they wrote it down in their own way. Okay, some people actually have that view of Scripture. That's, that's not a correct view, and that's not what Peter was saying. I don't want you to think I'm saying that. They were inspired by God, but the words themselves that were written down were inspired by God. They are God's words in the original manuscript. Now, what we have, and I think it's hard for Americans to even think this way. Did you know that the Bible wasn't written down in English? 
You know, we just kind of think that the whole world speaks English and that it's just when we get to heaven, everybody's going to be speaking English. Now, I don't know what language we're going to speak in heaven. I'm going to tell you, I seriously doubt it's going to be English, even though as arrogant as Americans are and we think everything's in English. It's not. So you have an English translation of an original manuscript that was God's breathed word. That's where the study part comes in. It's, it's good to study. Because we have a translation. But it's good to read, just read it as well. So we have the God-breathed, God-inspired word of God that he has given to us. That not only did he give to us, but isn't it an amazing thing? If you want to, you know, just kind of be shocked by something, go study how God has preserved his word through history. And it's, it's an amazing story that somehow through all of these years, this has been preserved for us so that we still have the word of God that we can turn to. It's a great blessing. And we need to also understand that there's Christians in this world that do not have what we have. Uh, just, I mean, how many Bibles do you have in your home? I don't even know. I, I've got a bunch because I keep all my old ones when I get a new one. So I've got probably just tons of copies of God's word in my home and in my office we probably have them in our cars we have them on our phone now you can have it anywhere at any time that is such a blessing that some people don't have and so when we take that for granted you know that that's a great blessing of God that we're not acknowledging when we don't use it so we need to be readers and studiers of God's words because they are God's very words Paul said to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and believed because, and basically what we're doing here, we're going up above 2 Timothy 3.16. I'll just summarize basically what Paul is saying and then he kind of gets to the end and he says, because these words are inspired. But he's telling Timothy, you've learned and believed and you've been taught these things by your mother and grandmother and those things that you've been taught by them are the very words of God. It's not just the wisdom of your mother and grandmother. It is the words of God, the Holy Scriptures. So we hold in our hands the very words of God, and, and we should really be amazed by that, that the creator of the universe has breathed out a book that he's given to us and that we can see the mind of God revealed in this book. We have access to knowledge that is true, 100% true, that we can count on and rely on. Now, I also want to take a minute because I said we're not going to dive into this completely, but I think it's also very important for you to understand that everybody, let's say everybody in America has access to the Bible. I think that's true, right? Pretty much everybody in America has access to the Scriptures. People read the Scriptures all the time. Some people read the Scriptures, and they don't understand what they're reading. And you know why? It's not because they're not as smart as you. It's not because they're not as smart as the person sitting beside them. These things are revealed to us through the Spirit of God. You can study the Bible and have a really good head knowledge of what the Bible is. There are professors in colleges that I would say all the evidence points to that they're not children of God, but they know the Bible. They know the text. They know the Greek. They know the Hebrew. They know all of those things, but God has not revealed himself to them through that book. And so it is a supernatural thing that we're able to read God's word and he's able to speak to us through that. So we have eyes to see and ears to hear the word of God. We just don't ever need to forget that. So do, do you treasure, love, read, meditate, memorize, and study this book 
in, in relation to and in accord with the infinite worth of this book. You know, if, if something was really that important to us, we'd spend time on it. And, and so that's where what Brother Drew said this morning really kind of fits well with what we're talking about today. I also think it's, very, um, it's a very good point to make that God speaks with one voice. Um, God's word, this is our authority. God, uh, there's not contradiction. There's not multiple voices. So when we attend church here Sunday after Sunday, there may be a different human voice speaking from this pulpit. But as long as they're speaking the word of God, they're speaking with one voice. And that's the word of God. But we're finite human beings and we're sinners. Everybody who steps up in this pulpit is a sinner and we're finite human beings. So what we're to bring to you is not our ideas, not our words. We're to bring to you the word of God. And when we do that faithfully, it's speaking with one voice. It's, it's the voice of God through his word. So that puts a little bit of responsibility on you. It's another reason why it's important that the Word of God is good for instruction. Because you should be following along. You should be studying those things every week that we bring to you and making sure that they're, they're the things of God. That's, that's noble. It's not that you don't trust the preacher. It's not. Uh, uh, Paul said that's a noble thing, that you would search the Scriptures to see if these things are so. So that's another way that the Word of God instructs. So it's, it's my prayer for all of us, especially for Brother Matthew. I, I said I'm not going to call him out the whole time, but as he begins his walk with Jesus Christ, there's nothing more important that I could say to him this morning other than get in the Word of God. Be a man of the Word of God. Read the Word of God and, and be instructed by the Word of God. And for all of us, no matter what stage of life we're in, we should be men and women of the book. Now, secondly, Paul says... Go back to our text in Romans 15, 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. We said that's about instruction. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures. That's the next phrase I want to look at. That we through patience and comfort of the scripture. And I told you I really like some of the other translations better. They use the words endurance and encouragement. So it would read like this. That we through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures <coughs> might have hope. So endurance, that first word, the Greek word there is hupomene, and it is, it's a really interesting word. Um, the definition in vine says steadfastness, constancy, patience, a patient enduring or steadfastly waiting, sustaining, and then this word, it's kind of a controversial word for some people, perseverance. It is perseverance in trial in the new testament it's the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to his faith and piety even by the greatest trials and sufferings now that's a that's a detailed definition so if you think of somebody who is going through the greatest trials and suffering think of a biblical character who do you know of that in the bible went through some just horrible, horrible things, but his faith never swerved. Well, my mind goes immediately to Job, and I think a lot of people in here, if I'd, if I'd asked you to say it out loud, you probably would have said, well, Job is definitely one, right? And, and you're right. Job would be definitely an example of that. Well, <coughs> we don't have to just look to the Bible for examples, though, right? I know a lot of people in here well enough to know that I could tell your story. I could tell 
some of the things that you've been through, the difficulties that you've had in your life, the trials that you've been through in your life, and, and yet you were able to hold on to the Lord through those things, through his word. There was one in particular at our school last year. We lost one of our faculty members last year in the middle of the year. His name was Craig Bernard. He was a Bible teacher in our high school, Presbyterian pastor, great man, good friend of mine. We talked all the time about the Lord and about what he was preaching on, what I was preaching on. To me, his wife was a great example of this. When, when he died, one of their parents had just died. There were two on hospice. They were having to take care of both sides. And then Craig got sick, so she was taking care of him. She was taking care of both sets of parents. I, I, I just, I mean, so much on one woman. And yet, if you talk to her, if you ever met her in the hallway, if you saw her somewhere, she was always saying, the Lord has been good to me. The Lord is sufficient through this trial. Her faith did not waver. She was an example to all around her of endurance through trials. And I thought of her when, when I saw this passage, that through endurance, that's what endurance is. Endurance is going through things that when I remember when in the very beginning I said, even when your experiences don't meet it, we still say that the word of God is true. And we still say that we trust God. <laughs> so can you as a believer exhibit patience or endurance in trials when your circumstances seem to be negative? So I mentioned Job. The scriptures are full of examples of this kind of faith, but Job is pretty extreme. So Job trusted God even when everything he had had been taken from him, including his health, his family, his substance, all of those things, even so much that his wife even kind of faltered there and she said, you know, you just need to curse God and die. You need to, you need to end this. Job trusted God. He trusted that God's word was true thought about Abraham he trusted the word of God when he was getting older his wife was getting older God had promised him a son from all human reasoning that had passed right that there's that's not that's not going to happen all the doctors of the day would have told him you know all the experts would have told Abraham you need to move on this is not going to happen you know all the worldly wisdom would have pointed to that that promise was not going to come true but Abraham trusted God and God was faithful and and fulfilled his promise so we see it in the life of abraham the world has has strayed so far from the truth of the word of god that a supreme court justice nominee couldn't even define what a woman was that's that's how far we've gotten and and that's worldly wisdom now okay that's what they're calling wisdom we we can't even define the difference between a man and a woman what does god's word say about that see god's wisdom is timeless it, it never becomes, I mean, can we really even call worldly wisdom worldly wisdom anymore? I, I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't even make common sense. They've come so far away from what God has said is truth that it doesn't even make common sense. What God says is that God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. There's your definition. Uh, that, uh, it, right there, we know that in creation, God created two different human beings male and female he created them so the wisdom of god is still true to this day it can be proven biologically but even if they 
you know, come up with other ways scientifically, I'm going to tell you something to say, oh, well, but because of this gene and that gene, you know what I'm going to say? No, the Word of God says he created a male and female. I'm going to go back to the Word of God. And, and that's what we're talking about when we say it trumps worldly wisdom. So the Holy Scriptures teach us truth that supersedes and overrules the wisdom of men and the reasoning of men, and it will remain true despite the reality of our present circumstances. Another one that I thought of, especially as, as um, Brother Drew was talking this morning about how you know, we, have to, we have to decide sometimes where we're going to stand. Another example of this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember what they did when they were threatened with the, the fiery furnace. They answered to the king and they said, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm standing there looking at that fiery furnace and knowing what's about to happen, I might have been a little careful <laughs> in what I said, but they were bold. And God blessed them with an extra measure of faith in the time that they needed it. And they trusted God. And so they said, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve, and I, and I love this attitude. This was brought up in our time of prayer request. If, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. So they, did they say they knew God was going to do it? No, they said we know God's able to do it. And we trust him. He's able to do it. But then in the next verse, they said, But if not, we still want you to know, O king, be it known to thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. In other words, they were at peace with trusting God with their very life and the suffering that they were about to have to go through. If that's God's will, then I'm going to go through it. But God's going to meet me on the other side. He's going to be with me through it. And we get a really good picture of that in that particular instance, don't we? Because they threw in three men, and then they go up and look in, and what they say? They said, behold, there's a fourth man in there that looks like the Son of God. He was with them through the trial, and they didn't even smell like smoke. What an amazing testimony. But you see, the, the key to me in what we're studying this morning is they said that we believe God despite our circumstance. God might deliver us from this, and he's able to do it, and we know that he's able to do it, but we trust him that if he doesn't do it, he's still God, and we're still going to serve him. That's what you call being fully surrendered to the will of God for your life, and it's a place that we ought to all try to get to in our own life. So the, the truth of the Bible gives us strength to endure, to persevere through trials and tribulations. The truth we find in the Holy Scriptures can be trusted even when our lives and the difficulty in our lives don't point in that direction from our human senses. So back to our text then. That's, that's the endurance part. Back to the text, there's two things that he links here. He, he links endurance and encouragement. Or uh, in the actual words of the King James, patience and comfort. But this word encouragement, if you want to do a great word study, look this word up. Uh, the, the word in, in Greek is paraklesis. Paraklesis. It's uh, also the, from the root where we get paraclete. You've heard us talk about before in different places. This is a different form of that same word. So it's, it has the idea of paraklesis is uh, coming up beside. It's a, it's a coming alongside someone to encourage, admonish, um, exhort. 
It really means to draw close, to draw close to the side of someone to exhort, admonish, or encourage them. So the scriptures do that for us. The scriptures constantly point us back to Christ and his promises instead of keeping our mind on the trouble that we see. That's how we're comforted in our trials is because the word of God comes along beside us and points us back in the right direction. The word of God and the truth we find in it about who God is and what he has done, it comforts us in all our afflictions. The scriptures reveal to us a God who always keeps his promises, a God that delivers and saves to the uttermost. We, we don't serve a God that hopes to save, but is dependent on the will of man. Did you know that? Um, God is not up there hoping it all works out for you. God has declared the end from the beginning. He has a definite plan for you and for your life, and he is accomplishing those things in your life. Even the hard things are allowed to purify you and to sanctify you and to make you more like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, that takes a lot of faith and a lot of trust, but we go to the word of God, and that, that uh, infuses us. It, it bolsters our faith because we learn more and more about this God and who he is and what he has done for us. The, the Bible reveals the true God that accomplishes his will among the armies of heaven and, and the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what doest thou? Now, I don't know about you, but that message is comforting to me. It's comforting to me that I serve a God who is not uh, beholden to other things. He is God. He is sovereign. He is on the throne and he is in control of all things. The God of the Bible declares the end from the beginning, like we said, and he knows the thoughts that he has for you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give us an expected end. So when you're faced with difficulties and trials and tribulations and distresses in your life, you go back to the scriptures, and you're reminded of a God that you serve, that cares for you, that has all power, that has all wisdom, and that knows what truly is best for you, even when you don't know what is best for yourself. He will come alongside, bolster your faith, admonish, exhort, and encourage you on the path of righteousness. But now the sad thing, and, I, and maybe you don't struggle with this, maybe this is just me, but I'll, I'll just admit it. What is our tendency in nature when we come into tribulations and troubles and, and things like that? For me, I want to figure it out myself. I want to solve it. <laughs> I, want to get, I want to figure out a way to get out of it. James, in James chapter 1, says that's the worst thing you can do is to try to end that trial before God has it designed for you because it's teaching you patience. It's teaching you endurance. It's teaching you to rely on him. But our tendency is to try to handle it ourselves. And generally what happens is when we do that, God has to bring us all the way down to the point. It just keeps going down until we have to say, Lord, I, I can't do anything. When you know what the truth was, you couldn't do anything to start with. And so we should go to him Initially, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that through patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. And then last is uh, hope, Christian hope. So Christian hope is not wishful thinking. And I've got to be quick on this one. But Christian hope is not wishful thinking. It's based in the truth of the word of God and it is the confident expectation that God is able to deliver on all that he has promised that's what Christian hope is 
If you know who God is, if you know the character of the God that we serve, then your hope is as solid as the hardest bedrock on the face of the earth. Uh, you can have 100% confidence in him. Our hope, like we said, is not wishful thinking. It is confidence in God. That is what Christian hope is based in. You say, well, how do you get that out of this text? Well, the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that we might know God in a way that we know that he's trustworthy. We know his promises are sure. We see that in his scripture. We see the way he's dealt with the people that have gone before us, and we can be confident in our hope for the future. That's how that ties in to our text. So we look forward to his promises. With God's past faithfulness fresh in our minds, we can dare to look to the future with hope. We can take our stand uh, and, and we can say with faith that we wait for the Lord. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. You see that connection? Our hope is tied to the word of God. The word of God is sure and true, then our hope is secure. If God can be moved, and if God is changing, and if God's word cannot be relied on, then our hope is wishful thinking. It's, we're hoping that it turns out, but that's not uh, what the truth is. We very clearly established that God's word is true. In fact, that Psalm 130 verse 5, um, where it says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, in his word I hope, the very next verse, Psalm 130 verse 6, says that it's as sure as the sun coming up every morning. So he says, you want to know how sure the word of God is? Is the sun going to come up tomorrow? <laughs> it's a pretty, pretty sure thing, right? comes up every day, just like it's supposed to. He said, that's how sure that the word of God is. So do the promises of God find a welcome home in our hearts. God has spoken to us. He's given us promises. And, and I had a whole list here, but I'm not going to read it. Um, so many promises that we have in the scriptures that we can turn to. Psalm 25, verse 3 says, None who wait for you shall be put to shame. Have you ever put your faith in somebody and then they really let you down? I know you have. That's happened at some point. Might, might, you know, it could be your best friend. It could be somebody in your family. Maybe you, you know, trusted them to, to keep a secret for you. Next thing you know, everybody knows it. You know, they really let you down. Well, none who wait for the Lord shall be put to shame. He comes through every single time, and the Word of God reveals that to us. So like we said, Brother, Brother Matthew has declared to the world with this church as witness that he believes in God and he believes in his Son, Jesus Christ. And he believes that he's a sinner, that Jesus died to pay for his sins, and, and that Jesus Christ rose again. And he's made that profession publicly of faith in Jesus Christ. And today he's going to obey the, other, the command of Christ to be baptized, which is an outward display to the world that he has been crucified with Christ, raised in newness of life. And brothers and sisters, that's what baptism is all about. That's what it's about for me. That's what it's about for you. If we declare that, then we need to be learning more about him. It's, then it becomes about discipleship. And, and, and really something that I, I feel like personally we haven't done a, just a really great job of. Uh, other than just preaching out of the pulpit. But we need to disciple. We need to grow. We need to um, help others who are following Christ to be discipled. Uh, that's, that's in the Great Commission. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then what's the very next phrase? Teaching them to observe. So take some, some pressure off of you, Brother Matthew. 
We don't expect you to know everything right now. <laughs> Do you know that? He doesn't have to be able to get up here and expound the doctrine, the deep doctrine of election to everybody and everybody know exactly, you know, oh man, he knows all that. Not necessary. He wants to follow Jesus Christ. And then we're going to teach and we're going to disciple and we're going to grow with together as a community. We grow in knowledge and in following Jesus Christ. So in a fallen world that's constantly redefining what's true and right, we reject relativism and we say there is an absolute definition of truth and we find it in the Word of God. And He has provided that for us for a purpose. That purpose is that we use it to know more about Him. One last thought. I was thinking about this. Uh, I don't know when Brother Bobby was baptized, but I'm going to say it was a long time ago. All right? I'm going to say that was a long time ago. Would you say that the world looked different when Brother Bobby was baptized than it does today? I would say that may be one of the greatest changes in the history of the world. Um, some of the rest of you in here, you were baptized a long time ago. Think back to when you were baptized. Has the world changed? You know, what brought this to my mind, our school is, is doing its 35th anniversary. So the school was started in 1988. And I thought, okay, well, in 1988, there were Christian men and women who said, I think it's important that we start a Christian school because of all of the crazy things going on in the world. And, and then I thought, man, I wish we could go back to 1988. <laughs> it wasn't near as bad then as it is now. Well, you think about maybe 1960. 1950. Go back even further than that. Has the world changed? Yes, the world has changed. But here's the other side of that coin. Back when Brother Bobby was baptized, there was sin, there was error, there was evil in this world, and God's Word was standing against it. Now, that evil, error, and, and all of those things, that sin, it's changed. I think we all admit that. The world has changed. I think personally it's gotten a lot worse, maybe more potent, maybe different ways of presenting itself, but it's still evil. Well, guess what hasn't changed? The Word of God was the same when Brother Bobby was baptized and when Brother Kevin was baptized and when my parents were baptized and when you were baptized as it is today. It's the same Word. It never changes. All, the world can have different attacks but the Word of God never changes. That's why it's our foundation, it's what we look back to, and it's also our hope. It's our future as well, because the Word of God is not going to change. So if we come back here 50 years from now, this Word is still going to be the same. When, when Brother Matthew's an old man, the Word of God hasn't changed. It'll be the same then as it is now. That's comforting to me. I hope it is to you. So we're excited uh, about what this day brings. We're excited that we have the Word of God, and I hope we'll all be uh, focused on discipleship, not only of, our, of those who come here and, and want to be baptized and want to learn more about God, but ourselves. That work is never complete until one of two things happen. Jesus Christ comes back or we die. Other than that, we are constantly being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ.